From the Relationship Center, I'm psychotherapist, couples counselor, and dating coach Jessica Engel, and this is I Love You Too, a show about how to create and sustain meaningful relationships. I'm professional certified coach Josh Van Vliet. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how to develop secure attachment. We're so happy you're here, and please remember that this show is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We're so glad you're here. We're going to be talking all about how to develop secure attachment. And we have a lot to say about this topic. So we're actually going to break this into two episodes. Today is part one. And stay tuned in the feed for part two coming up soon. And before we get started, if you love our show, well, we love you too. And we want to be in touch between episodes to get more free dating, relationship, and social anxiety advice, please go to relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter to sign up for, you guessed it, our newsletter. Again, go to relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter. Okay, let's dive in. Awesome. So on today's episode, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about how to develop secure attachment. And we're going to talk about it through the lens of a couple of questions. The first is, what is secure attachment and why is it important? Why do we care? The second is, can an insecurely attached person become securely attached? And if so, how long does it take? And the third is, how do I go from an anxious or avoidant or other insecure style to a secure style? So shall we start with that first question? What is secure attachment and why is it important? Absolutely. Okay. So let's do a little brief overview Uh, Secure attachment style means you're more likely to build satisfying close relationships, which has been shown to improve mental and physical health, which is why we are interested in secure attachment. People who are securely attached identify with the following statement. It is easy for me to become emotionally close to others. I am comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't worry about being alone or having others not accept me. Sounds nice. Right? (laughs) (laughs) If you're among uh, the many people who have an insecurely attached style and you're listening to that, it's like, oh, that's different than how I I might uh, experience myself in relationships uh, some portion of the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we won't go into super depth on different attachment styles in this episode. We're sort of assuming you're coming in with some information about attachment styles, but if you're not... uh, some resources we can point you to are Attached by Levine and Heller, Diane Poole-Heller's Attachment Assessment, Wired for Love by Stan Patkin. All of those we'll link to in our show notes along with everything else we reference in this episode. One of the things about why we should care about a secure attachment, I've been reading, as you know, this book Platonic by uh, Marissa Franco recently, uh, which is all about Attachment and Friendship. It's a mm-hmm. wonderful book. Highly recommend it. But one of the things that she says in there is attachment is what we project onto ambiguity in relationships. Yes. Which I think so brilliantly captures uh, the places where insecure or secure attachment make a huge difference, right? It's in those moments when we're not sure what's happening, right? Let me give you an example. You're dating somebody. They don't text you back immediately. That's an ambiguous situation. We don't know what's happening there on their end. And for those of us with an insecure attachment style, whether it's anxious or avoidant or disorganized, we're more likely to assume it's because they don't like us, 
that there's something wrong with us, that they, you know, all these negative interpretations of what's happening. And it's usually about us. Right. And why they aren't interested. Uh, versus a secure atta- securely attached person is more likely to interpret like, oh, they're probably just busy at work, mm-hmm. right? And in those moments of ambiguity, the things that we project onto that then impacts what we do mm. and how we relate to that person, right? So if we're assuming that this person doesn't like us, isn't into us, we're probably not going to be warm. We're probably not mm. going to be friendly. We're probably not going to reach out. Or if we do reach out, it'll be in a, maybe a harsh or critical uh, way, right? Uh, so all of these things then leads to this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The way that we behave based on what we're projecting in these ambiguous moments get, makes it more likely that we're going to experience exactly the thing that we're wanting to avoid. Right. So that insecure style, it sounds like you're saying, creates uh, insecure relationships. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Which we know you, dear listener, are not interested in having more insecure relationships. You mm-hmm. want more secure relationships. Um, and that makes sense. We have some really solid research that says, you know, when we have more of that secure attachment, we actually have better mental and physical health. We have higher self-esteem. We have decreased negative affect, which is fancy talk for depression and anxiety. Um, and overall, just happier relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I do want to say up top here, and this goes back to something that we talked about in our last episode, Seven Myths About Attachment Styles, there's nothing bad about an insecure style. Mm -hmm. I think it's very, very easy because of the way insecure attachment impacts our self-esteem and our self-concept to think, oh, if I have an insecure style, there's something wrong with me. Right. And that, again, is just going to be part of the insecure style. It's going to just reinforce uh, that very thing that you described, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, so do listen to our last episode. And one of the things that we say in there, as you remember, Josh, is that we don't actually need to develop a secure attachment style in order to have secure functioning relationships. That is relationships that are safe, secure, loving, and do have all of those physical and mental health benefits. Mm-hmm. So just keep in mind, if you have an insecure style that's adaptive, it's appropriate and understandable considering where you came from. Mm-hmm. And this is this episode's not intended to bash or shame you. If you have that insecure style, it's more intended to give you tools if you've decided that you do want to move more towards a secure style. Mm-hmm. And even if we don't get all the way to a completely secure style, as you were mentioning, some tools for engaging in secure functioning relationships, right? Right. We can, we can uh, harvest some of the, the, the things, the, the be- beliefs, the attitudes, the behaviors of secure, uh, securely attached people and apply that to our own relationships to have better relationships. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we had mentioned in our episode on uh, what to look for in a long-term partner that people who report more happiness and security prior to a relationship make better partners with the caveat that people who are more depressed or anxious also make wonderful partners if they learn the tools of secure functioning. Mm-hmm. So again, you don't need to be securely attached to be an amazing partner to create an amazing style and the tools we'll give you will help both with developing more of that secure style and really learning the secure functioning tools. Yeah. Cool. So should we, should we answer the second question? 
We should. Can, can an insecurely attached person become securely attached? Uh, I think I think it's probably self-evident from what Hopefully. we're saying. <laughs> Hopefully, if you listen to this episode, it's clear that we wouldn't be doing this episode if uh, that wasn't possible. Yes. And I think it's a good thing for us to reinforce. Like yeah. a lot of people really do feel stuck. Yeah. That's part of the insecure, particularly anxious, but all of the insecure styles, there's a sense of hopelessness around mm. changing attachment patterns or changing relationship patterns so that you actually have satisfying relationships. Um, so good news, it is absolutely possible. And we actually, attachment researchers came up with a term to describe uh, this developed secure attachment. It's called earned secure. If you ever hear that, it actually just means developing secure attachment uh, after having an insecure style. Um, and generally that is done, we'll go through lots of different ways that's done, but generally it's done through both positive relationships and personal development. And how long does it take? Yeah, great question. So Levine and Heller in the book Attached talk about how one in four people changes their attachment style once every four years. There was another study that I found that had uh, 442 participants looked at attachment styles over a two-year period. A little less than half of those participants shifted their style within that time frame. Wow. So they ended up describing attachment styles as, quote, moderately stable, um, and a shift to secure attachment was related to increases in self-esteem and perceptions of so, uh, social support. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, you know, based off of these two pieces of evidence, you know, two to four years, I've heard three in other sort of circles. Generally, that's two to four years uh, with a lot of support mm -hmm. to do that healing. Yeah. Right. It's not, uh, you know, it also could be two to four years to change to an insecure style with, uh, you know, insecure functioning relationships. Right, right. And some of what I've read also is that, and I think this is bears out from our personal experience and our experience with the folks that we work with, we're probably never going to get to 100% secure, right? Like that's, that's not really the goal here. Because we all have, we talked about this in our last episode as well, we all have elements of all the styles, mm -hmm. right? In the, in the uh, assessment that you, you consistently give clients, they all come back with uh, some element of each style. Yeah. And so th this isn't about perfectionism. This isn't right. about becoming 100% secure. This is about shifting your at attachment style in the direction of more secure. Right. So it's a, a, a larger kind of percentage, we could say, of your, your overall attachment styles, uh, your more natural inclination towards the secure behavior, styles, beliefs, uh, viewpoints on relationships. Right. And, uh, and just know that you'll always probably have some anxious or some avoidant or some, you know, and different things will come up in different relationships as we talked about in our last episode. So it's not, it's never uh, that you're going to get there hundred percent, but that you'll be shifting in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's important because it, if we set ourselves up with an unrealistic expectation, mm -hmm. we're not going to feel very good about ourselves when we fall short of it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably more of the insecurity. Right. right? Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. So should we, should we get into the, the meat of our episode? Nom, the, nom, nom. Meat. The, the tempeh <laughs> of our episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, it'll be meat. For you, it'll be tempeh <laughs> based on our diets. <laughs> so the big question how do I go from an anxious or an avoidant or other insecure style to a secure style? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I have how many things to say? I have five major bullet points. I love it. How about you? I'm excited. Uh, I've got three kind of major thoughts. Okay. And some of which may overlap with your thoughts. Oh, I suspect. I, I have a feeling. Okay. Well, shall I dive in with my first one? Please do. Okay, number one is heal in healthy, secure functioning relationships. Mm. So we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, We do have research that indicates that one key to earning secure attachment is building relationships with surrogate attachment figures. So that could be a therapist, a friend, a partner, someone who offers emotional support. Uh, And if you're insecure... it would be emotional support in the way that your early secure bases or primary attachment figures uh, ideally would have, but did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, being in healthy, secure, functioning relationships is key for healing attachment styles. We are wounded in relationship. We heal in relationship. Um, I'll give you one example. The study I mentioned earlier that showed that 46% of participants changed their style in a two-year period indicated that those who became more secure over that two-year period reported feeling more emotionally supported, not just practically, emotionally Mm -hmm. supported uh, in their healthy relationships. And they also indicated that they actually had less interpersonal conflict at the end of the two years. Mm -hmm. So high levels of conflict typically do come with those insecure dysfunctional relationships. Mm -hmm. We hopefully in our secure functioning relationships uh, experience a sense of ease overall. That's huge. That's huge. In Marissa Franco's book, Platonic, she talks a little bit about vetting the people that you're engaging with. That yes. Not everyone is up for this, right? I think it's important to say we have the opportunity for this in all kinds of relationships and there may be wonderful friendships that you can develop or you can lean into to develop and practice secure attachment. Uh, and not all of your friendships are going to be appropriate for that. Yes. Not everyone is ready to meet you there. And so it's really important to check it out and see through things like being vulnerable in a uh, kind of graduated way, mm-hmm. right? One of the things that insecurely attached folks tend to do is either withhold completely or overshare. Right. And both of those are, are kind of defense mechanisms uh, in their own ways. And so what we want to do instead is share vulnerably and then see how it lands, see how they respond. Are they able to meet you there with compassion, with care, with kindness? Or do they criticize you? Do they withdraw, right? And so it's really important to notice those signs and not push past that because that's just going to be more of the insecure. Right. Yeah, so I think with insecure attachment, oftentimes the background for those who are insecure is an insecure family. And often in insecure families, there is a um, difficulty with boundaries and there is difficulty protecting mm. that child. Right. Maybe they're overprotected or they're underprotected. And that to me, what you just described is the adult version of that. It's like I don't have, if I'm just sharing without any filter or I'm not sharing at all, that's my sort of internal attachment figure not doing a good job of taking good care of me to make sure I'm in a relationship where I am safe. Mm -hmm. 
recommend our pacing episode mm-hmm. to have uh, tools for, especially in dating, but those tools can also be applied in friendship and other relationships to use the, what's called the share check method, which is what you referenced. I share a little bit and then I check what was the response and how was it for me to share that mm-hmm. and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. I think that this, uh, you know, healing and healthy, secure functioning relationships this one can feel tricky, I think, for a lot of people um, because I think for some people, they can feel like, I'm sorry, where are those people? Right. Like, how do right. I find those people? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important for us just to kind of speak to that briefly. Yeah. What would you say about that if somebody said, okay, that's that's a great tip, but... Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think in some ways it's it's similar to what we talk about in our what to look for in a long-term partner episode. Some of the, not all of the qualities that you're going to look for in a long-term partner or would necessarily need to be present, right? For a, uh, someone like on a friend capacity, but some of the things like kindness, consistency, right? Uh, vulnerability, right? And looking for who are the people in my life who I even have a sense might be open to that. Even if you right now, it's like, I don't know where those people are. I bet, I would bet that if you really take a kind of inventory of your relationships, you might see, you know what, there's maybe a possibility for this here. I don't know yet. I actually don't have enough information. Maybe I haven't tried to be vulnerable in this way with this particular person before. But I kind of have the sense maybe they're up for it. And let's check it out. Let me check it out. Let me try sharing a little bit more vulnerably or inviting that kind of connection. And then as we're saying, share and check, Mm -hmm. share and check. Um, So that's one piece. If you really look around and you see, you know what? I don't think there's anybody in my life. This is an opportunity to get courageous and build new relationships, Mm -hmm. right? And that's hard sometimes. It can be very scary as adults, especially where do we go to build new connections, build new friendships, build new relationships, uh, certainly one place you can do that is with a therapist or a coach, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Especially a, a therapist or coach who is attachment oriented, right? They have some skill around this. They are oriented towards how do we support you to develop secure attachment even in our relationship and what does that look like? What are the skills that we can practice together that are going to help you learn how to do that in other relationships in your life? Uh, I think that's a great way to approach it. Um, But it also could be starting to look for where are the other places in my life that I might get a little bit courageous and find some new connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And the other thing I think of in terms of finding those people, uh, one is looking for values-based communities. I love that. That's great. Right. Like, so a community that's maybe got a a spiritual practice to it or a a personal growth practice. And there's a kind of shared vision of we grow together. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think of volunteering. Oftentimes, you know, places where you get to volunteer, there's a shared vision uh, and a desire to go beyond the self. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think all of those are very good signs. I also think process groups, therapy groups mm, can be a really yeah. wonderful place to do that. And then I also just want to name, I think sometimes that experience of there's not anyone, in some cases that's very true because oftentimes secures find secures mm-hmm. and insecures finds insecures. And so we kind of have to find our way into other communities. And I think that the way that insecure attachment works, it's kind of like, um, you know how when you're thinking about buying a particular kind of car, you see that car everywhere? 
It's like that, mm-hmm. right? So if your yeah. system is set up to say people are unsafe, I never get what I need, your, your mind's going to pull for this evidence. And I know you've done a lot of work in your coaching, Josh, around mm-hmm. how does the mind pull for evidence to confirm negative beliefs. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to pull for the evidence that people are unreliable. It's going to when you think to yourself, who's available, emotionally available in my life, it's going to pull up all the the people that aren't emotionally available because of that template. Um, So you may need to work with yourself to really kind of reconsider that just as you were describing, Josh. And it may also be, I think, for some people that the people who are emotionally available, we've found ways to distance ourselves from them because Mm. it's a little bit scary to be close to them. Mm. And it can even show up in really kind of tricky ways like, oh, that person's just kind of uncool. Like they just seem like they're a little thirsty or Mm. whatever. Right. So really looking for, are you devaluing somebody who's actually just showing a lot of interest mm-hmm. because it's maybe a little scary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that you're, you're bringing that up. And as you're saying, because our brains filter through our pre-existing conclusions, right. And as uh, those of us with an insecure style pulling for people who are going to be, or, or evidence that people will be unkind or unavailable, uh, uninterested in us, it's so important to actively look for evidence of kindness, right? availability, interest, connection, consistency, right? To actually be like, oh, yeah, that person reached out to hang out with me and I never followed up with them because mm-hmm. I was busy or because I thought they weren't actually interested or, you know, whatever it was, right? Whatever thing. Oh, I see that, you know, they they really do, as you're saying, they really do show interest in me when I'm sharing. And that's a little scary at first. So how can we pull for evidence of kindness, consistency, availability, vulnerability, right? Right. And I think the truth is really almost everybody wants this kind of connection. Even when we pretend like we don't, mm-hmm. right? Or we, we kind of put up our pretense or our, or our walls because it's scary or uncomfortable. And that when we act in a way that invites this a little bit, I think more people than we might expect are going to respond well. Not yes. everybody. It's it's important to say not everybody will. And that's part of the vetting that we were talking about earlier. But more people than we might think will. Right. Because we all want this kind of connection. We all want to be vulnerable and share openly and have somebody who feels like they really get us and respect us and care about us. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about how... Most people, like I think a lot of the people we work with, they're kind of like, I don't know, everyone else around me seems like they've got their friends, they've got their partner, like they're doing fine, they're close to their family, and like I'm weird. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth is, you know, from where we sit in our chairs and the stories we hear every day, that is not the case. Mm-mm. People are deeply lonely. Yeah. And doing these things out of their attachment patterns that make it seem like they're fine. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, a lot of them are not. Mm-hmm. So I love what you're saying, Josh, about, um, you know, working with the acceptance prophecy, right? If I am warm, if I reach out, if I assume others like me, I get more of that back. Right. Yep. Well, one of the things that I think is really important here is since we're on the subject of the lenses and the conclusions that we are viewing things through and how they impact what kinds of evidence we pull for and then how we behave, thinking about how does a securely attached person view relationships? What is the lens that someone who is securely attached 
seeing through? What are the beliefs, conclusions, attitudes that they are pulling for that have them show up differently than those of us who are insecurely attached? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've collected a few things along those lines. I, I think maybe you have too, based on your facial expression. No, I haven't. That's oh. why I'm so excited. Oh, great. I mean, I've, I, yes, to some degree. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, hit me. Yeah. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. I, I have visions someday of making like a, a much more like this is the lens, that, but this is at least a starting point for us. Um, one of which is just securely attached people assume they're worthy of love and that others can be trusted to give it to them. And I'm going to share some of these. And I want to also say some of these may feel like a stretch right now. Mm. Right. It may feel like for you hearing that, that sounds nice. That I don't believe that. Right. And that's okay. Right. I want to, I don't want you to feel like you need to be here immediately, but these are some of the beliefs or, or even lenses that you could be looking through that you can start to practice taking on a little bit, start to like, well, if I did believe this, what Mm. would I see right now? What would I do differently? Yes. Right. Am I willing to even entertain the possibility that this is true? Mm-hmm. That can kind of help us kind of sidle up next to it and kind of get get familiar with it. And so, yeah, let me just share a couple more of these. Please. Uh, these lenses. So secure people assume they're worthy of love, right? And that others can be trusted to give it to them. And again, as we mentioned earlier, this isn't a blank check to everyone, right? There's a, a process of vetting as we engage. But bottom line. Others can be generally trusted until proven otherwise, right? Also, we value our partner's welfare as much as we do our own and not more or less, mm. right? This is what's mutuality. We talk, we talk a lot about this and we only do what's good for both of us. Mm-hmm. And in insecure attachment, oftentimes it can be out of balance in one way or the other, right? If I'm saying yes to things that aren't good for me or aren't good for my partner, my, my friend, my relationship buddy, uh, that doesn't work, right? I think one of the other things, and this comes from, uh, from Platonic, from Marissa Franco, everybody's doing the best they can and it's going to be all right in the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might hear me say that and think, well, that's not true, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always going to be all right in the end. And to, to which I would say, you're right. You know, that's the truth. It's not always going to be all right in the end. And yet, and yet, if we can lean into this just a little bit, right, we're looking at the places of, of, as I mentioned earlier, ambiguity in relationships and that everyone's doing the best they can. When that person, they didn't text me back, I'm going to assume it's because they were really busy at work and not about me. And I'm going to reach out and check in, see how they're doing, right? more likely to, to yield a warm, connected response than texting them and saying, what the heck, why didn't you text me all day? You know, that's probably going to put them on the defensive, right? And not right. get you the result that you want in the end. So again, assuming this until we're proven otherwise, right? If we get other information, it's like, you know what? They really aren't available for the kind of relationship I'm looking for. Okay, different. But our base stance is everybody's doing the best they can. And it's going to be all right in the end. 
I notice my nervous system like just relaxes hearing that, mm. which tells me that it is a, a secure attachment stance, mm-hmm. right? Secure yeah. attachment is about a regulated nervous system, which we'll get to at some point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think, you know, we could go on. I'm sure there are more things we could add to this list. Uh, but I think even if you start to ask yourself, how does someone who is securely attached view relationships? Right. How might they view this situation? Yes. That's different than maybe how I currently hold it. Just start to even get curious about that question because it'll lead you to be gathering evidence for different things and looking for how is how, how are they seeing this moment? How might they see it differently? And Am I interested in that viewpoint? Can I take that, start to take that viewpoint on a little bit? Can I explore, experiment with that and see, okay, well, if I did see, you know, if I did assume that I was worthy of love and others can be trusted to give it, what might I do right now? Right? Because if we try to mimic the behaviors of somebody who's securely attached without seeing what they're really seeing, it doesn't always work. It can land as inauthentic or it can, we'll just be doing the wrong thing in the wrong situation because we're not understanding why you might be doing this thing, right? And so that's that's part of my invitation to, to all of us is to like, how do we take on this viewpoint a little bit and start to start to play with that? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, that research study I mentioned earlier over the two-year period where people shifted their attachment style, the main thing that shifted one's style was the one's assessment of oneself and others. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is going in straight to the beliefs and seeing if you can take on new beliefs. Yeah. I love that. And that was something when we chatted with our clinicians about in preparation for this episode, several of them spontaneously said, well, I ask a, a question to kind of help prompt the person to think about um, essentially, you know, I call it WWSD instead of WWJD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what would a secure do? <laughs> right? So other versions of this are like, what would I do if I weren't afraid right now of being left? What mm-hmm. would I do right now if I weren't afraid of being close? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know another, uh, one of our clinicians mentioned that sometimes it's a little much to think, what would a securely attached person do? Like it's hard to kind of recall mm-hmm. that. So I love that you're breaking it down into specific beliefs. Um, and she was also mentioning it might be helpful just to ask oneself, like, am I basing my reactions right now off of what's actually happening or my own stuff, mm-hmm. my, my own stuff, my own history? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is what I think is happening really happening or is this maybe a story in my head that I'm, making up based on my own, my own history. Right. Well, I love, I love what you're saying there in terms of really having some of these clear secure attachment lenses, it sounds like, or core beliefs. And the questions also, um, Mm -hmm. I think are really important. And all of that links to the next thing I want to talk about, which is secure attachment priming. Because I think that, I think what you're saying, I, I, I'm starting to realize, I think those types of questions, you know, what would a secure do is a form of secure attachment priming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So shall we dive into that piece? Let's get into it. Okay. This is one of my favorite uh, approaches here. Yes, me too. So, okay. Secure attachment priming. 
Secure, secure attachment priming is rooted in the early works of Bowlby, who really originated the attachment theory. So with secure attachment priming, the sort of top line takeaway is you can do things like watching movies with secure functioning couples. You can listen to music uh, that represents secure functioning relationships. You can spend time with secure uh, families or secure couples. Uh, you can visualize being in relationship with someone secure. All of this can prime your system to feel more secure and to develop perhaps a more secure style. Uh, and basically, attachment priming is a way to intentionally, I'm going to use a lot of big words here and then we'll explain them if they're a little confusing, intentionally stimulate internal working models of attachment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, attachment, you know, our early experiences get stored as what's called episodic memory. And we have these kind of like systems of, you know, these neural networks that get activated in relationship that are based off of those early experiences. Okay. And so attachment priming attempts to either bring those beliefs about attachment to the surface um, for the purpose of research or to categorize someone's attachment style or to work with that attachment style and to move it more towards secure. Okay. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? So what you're saying is it's either used for kind of assessing. Right. What is your current attachment style? And we surface that and so that mm-hmm. we, we know what's going on. Or uh, priming your, your system for a more secure style. Right. You can also do insecure priming, but you know, researchers <laughs> haven't. I didn't see a lot of research around insecure priming, which is probably good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so let me give you some examples of attachment priming. I think that might help ground us in some concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, so secure attachment priming can include looking at pictures of, say, a mother holding her baby a couple embracing joyfully or one's own attachment figures like a parent or a romantic partner, okay? Uh, It can also include looking at words either subliminally or superliminally, which just means either you're aware you're seeing the word or you're not, okay? So in research studies, this subliminal would be like a word of, you know, the word security flashing across the screen so fast you don't even see it, Mm -hmm. okay? You don't consciously see it. Consciously see it, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so it could be, uh, like I said, flashing common words related to attachment security, the names of attachment figures. Uh, some research studies actually used a secure attachment word search, mm. I think is adorable. That's cute. Uh, I like that. Or you can recall secure themed sentences, or writing about a secure experience. Those are all forms of word-based priming. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's also mental imagery. So visualizing being supported by an attachment figure, during a problematic interpersonal experience, uh, receiving a description of a secure figure and then thinking and writing about that individual or relationship or something that we do at our clinic, which is um, we support clients to have a conversation with their future partner. Mm -hmm. They're looking for that secure long-term partner. Mm -hmm. So all of this, when we prime our attachment system what can come out of that is we can basically bring up the cognitions or the thoughts and the behaviors that are consistent with the attachment style that we're priming, mm-hmm. okay? So, for example, if I do my secure attachment word search, I'm in the 
moments, hours, perhaps days that follow, my system is going to be more secure. Uh, it's going to uh, experience more security. It's going to feel more safe in relationship and um, think like a secure person, behave more like a secure person. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've kind of like made those circuits uh, more likely to respond. Right. It's like priming a pump, mm-hmm. right? So if we prime it, it's more likely for that water to come out. I actually don't really know what priming a pump means, <laughs> but I'll take your word for it. I don't really either. I grew up kind of in the city, so I, I have no business using this metaphor. <laughs> she says as her face flushes. Oh. <laughs> um, so... Let's go back a little bit. Secure attachment priming, we do have research that shows it improves emotional well-being, mm-hmm. self-esteem, mm-hmm. altruism, and compassion. Now, I will say in our last episode, I said um, that we have research that shows that secure attachment priming leads to more secure attachment. And when I looked closer at the research again, I realized there. W- I don't think researchers have made that causational link in the research. Mm-hmm. But I mean, listen to this again. Secure attachment priming improves emotional well-being, self-esteem, altruism, and compassion. That sounds a lot like secure attachment to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All of the ingredients that one might call secure attachment. Right. And so, you know, uh, take what you like in terms of how black and white secure attachment priming leads to secure attachment. It seems to me like it's very worthwhile, Mm -hmm. particularly even just the piece about we actually just act more secure when we've primed our system. Mm -hmm. So that means that we're going to be more likely to build secure functioning relationships, even if we don't change our style. Um, uh, A few more things that were really interesting when I looked at all of the research. Guided imagery and visualization were found to be especially effective Mm. when priming security, which makes perfect sense to me. I think in my own personal experience with priming and also clinical, I I have just seen the power of of visualizing of guided imagery. Uh, And it it seems like it is more powerful than some of the other interventions. That makes sense to me because you're actively engaging with the secure attachment neural circuitry, yes. so to speak, right? Versus passively seeing a word or, or, you know, even doing a word search, right? You're, you're kind of activating those circuits very... Uh, primally. Very primally, very, very proactively. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it makes sense that that would have a, a significant impact. Right. Well, and I think we need to remember that um, the attachment system formed before we had words. Yeah. Right. And so it's it's much more likely to be activated with when bodies are involved, frankly, mm. when eye contact and sound and voices and proximity. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what we are generally imagining mm-hmm. is the sort of somatic component, not just words that represent attachment. Yep. Another really interesting tidbit was that anxiously attached individuals were more positively impacted by secure attachment priming than other styles. Any idea why that is? Well, the way that I think of it is anxious attachment develops when you have inconsistent care. Avoidant attachment develops when there's really a lack of care Mm -hmm. or the care is harsh Mm -hmm. or very misattuned. So in some ways, to me, it feels like there's sort of somebody who's more avoidantly attached, like that's a pretty extreme response, not a bad one, but 
it's an extreme response, which means that the situation was extreme. For us to cut off from our attachment instincts, like that is hardwired into us. So it had to be pretty bad for you to have to learn to just not try at all. Um, it's kind of like the end of our nervous system is the place where we just give up, mm -hmm. right? So my sense is it's sort of like, this is a, a, totally a, a conjecture, but that it's um, in some ways the people who are anxiously attached, there's a lot of pain to that style and it, it was just a different kind of harm mm -hmm. and one that may be a little bit easier to come back from. Mm -hmm. With disorganized, that's like, maybe even one step further in terms of how much harm, right? Mm -hmm. Usually the disorganized style comes from a lot of trauma. Right. So it, I think that all of these styles can be healed, which is the, the message of this. And it may just take more priming mm -hmm. for the avoidant and for the disorganized, which is known as fearful avoidance. So just another version of avoidance. Yeah. Okay. Another piece that was really interesting that I think is useful is that it appears repeated priming keeps security elevated over time. Okay, so they found that if you wanted more security, do the priming more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Attracts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and part of what they said is that the repetition really helps the anxious um, participants overcome their attachment to stress and really register the security. And the avoidance were able to break through their, their defensive avoidance mm -hmm. uh, and really register the safety. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like anything where... Uh, we're kind of training our brain, we could even say, or training our nervous system, our attachment system, which, you know, just like you, if you're training for a race, you've got to practice. It's, it takes, the, the more that we do it, the, the better we're going to get at it. Right, absolutely. And the, and the effects are going to be cumulative, mm -hmm. right? Yes, exactly. So um, in terms of secure attachment priming practices or tools, right, what, how can you use this? Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that I will share is I have a secure attachment playlist, mm -hmm. uh, which is a list of songs that I gathered really for myself a while back to continue uh, developing my own security. Um, and the, the lyrics and also the sort of quality of the songs to me speak to, um, healthy, secure functioning relationships. So I'm happy to share that with y'all and feel free to listen to it as many times as you want. I think this is such a brilliant thing that you did and a wonderful resource. And if you think about love songs, especially pop love songs, a lot of them are not securely attached mm -hmm. love songs, mm -hmm. right? right? And we don't even realize it a lot of the time. I think we're, a lot of the time we're not thinking about what are the lyrics that I'm, I'm jamming out to here? What is the quality of the, the message here, right? I was, as we were preparing for this, I was looking at a couple of different examples to share uh, of secure versus insecure love songs just to kind of help illustrate this. And, you know, if you, if you look at the lyrics for Sugar by Maroon 5, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it, I'm not going to sing them for you right now, but I'm hurting, baby. I'm broken down. I need your loving. Loving, I need it now. When I'm without you, I'm something weak. You've got me begging, begging I'm on my knees, mm -hmm. right? I mean, talk about insecure, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, and, and we, I think sometimes we glorify that desperation, that kind of like, I'm nothing without you. This is what real love is all about. It's about, you know, that kind of, I'm going to use air quotes, passion, mm -hmm. uh, when it's really about this almost like lack, right? There's not, there's not security in, in yourself and there's not security in the relationship, right? Yes. Versus uh, 
one of our favorite songs, Consider Me by Alan Stone. Just the first line, if you're looking for somebody who will love you through the night and be there in the morning with the same look in their eyes. Mm. Right? It's like consistency. Yeah. And you just like, I know, my, I saw you just kind of like relax mm. a little mm. bit. And I felt my nervous. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Right? And so I, I love that that we're going to share this. And it's not that there there aren't great songs out there that are in, like we still listen to plenty of insecure love songs because sure. they're great bops and it's it's fun. But just notice, start to notice what are the lyrics that I'm hey. <laughs> I'm listening to here, and uh, and maybe listen to some more of these. Yes, and I would also say as you listen to them, uh, practice mindfulness. Allow yourself to notice what is getting activated inside of you in terms of sensations or mm. thoughts because attending to what gets activated in you will allow that to uh, be more available to you when you're not listening to that music. Mm-hmm. Right. That's great. Takes it from a passive, like, oh, I'm just going to put this on the background, which you know, is good. That's not a bad thing, to being present with what comes up makes it an active more of what you were talking about earlier, the active engagement with visualization, with paying attention to what's happening internally, that makes it more uh, more useful, more right. impactful. Right, absolutely. Yeah, you could even take it one step further and imagine that the singer is singing to you mm. as as your future partner, as a friend, as you know, a, a secure attachment figure in your life. Mm. Would you also say you could imagine that you're, you're the singer singing to your future partner. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, do both. Getting to experience it on both sides. Yeah. One of the things I love about the secure attachment priming is how it helps you build a mental model for what is secure attachment. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What are we doing? What are we saying to each other? Because if you if you have an insecure style, it's likely because you you, you earned that honestly, right? right. You, you, you had models for that and you probably didn't have as many models for secure attachment. And so I think oftentimes, I remember the first time a therapist said to me like, that was a, kind of an, uh, an anxious way to respond to that with somebody that I was dating. And I was like, there's another way to respond? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> right? Uh, and I think that's how it often is, right? We just kind of, we, we have, it's, it's so baked in, right? It's, it comes from implicit memory a lot right. of the time that it's just so baked into our assumptions about this is how it works in relationships to have this moment of like, oh, it can be different. Yes. And to start to build out exactly what that can look like in a lot of nuance and detail through songs, through, through podcasts, through uh, examples of relationships in movies or television shows, right? Through the, all, all the other kinds of secure attachment priming you're talking about. We get to build this robust, nuanced mental model for uh, mental model and, and like somatic experience of uh, what is secure attachment like. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, thank you for reminding us of, uh, you know, look for media, right? Are there people, I loved watching uh, This Is Us. I felt like there was a lot of secure attachment in This Is Us. It's kind of soapy. So there's still a little bit of an up and down to it. But for the most part, they're responding to each other kindly. They're repairing quickly. They're all in on on two-person psychological systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so find things like that. Um, I, I came across a new resource recently I'll, I'll also link to called Positive Words from Mom. Oh. <laughs> and it's basically this like pack where they send you recordings of a supportive mom sending you good words. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I secretly kind of want to do something like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's great. So sweet. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, I think there's also like you get like written messages and stuff. So that's perfect example of secure attachment priming. Um, you mentioned this podcast, you know, if you experience Josh and I as a secure functioning couple, listen to this podcast. This is not me uh, shamelessly plugging our <laughs> podcast or anything. <laughs> Actually, it kind of is. But, you know, we're here too. Like, use us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're happy to to be that model for you. Um, good. Anything else on secure attachment priming on your side? Books. Books also work. Yes. Say more about books. Oh, I don't know. I just, we listed other kinds of media and didn't right. want books to feel left out. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> very inclusive. <laughs> uh, one other uh, form of secure attachment priming I don't think we listed yet was um, spending time with secure functioning couples or uh, secure families. Mm. Uh, that's another great way. One type of media that uh, doesn't tend to uh, work well for secure attachment priming is dating reality shows. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just 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 gonna say, most of the time there are a few exceptions, but yeah. most of the time, not a lot of secure attachment priming happening there. Very right. entertaining and very uh, informative sometimes about relationships but not secure attachment priming. Yeah, absolutely. I think you and I, when we watch those, we look for shows that have at least one seemingly secure functioning couple because otherwise our systems just can't handle it. (laughs) 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 Uh, Good. That's all for today. Stay tuned for part two of this two-part series about how to develop secure attachment next month. And you can find the show notes with links to all the resources we mentioned in this episode at relationshipcenter.com slash podcast. And if you love today's show, go to relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter. We'll send you a short, hella helpful email once a month with informative articles, silly videos, behind the scenes, glimpses, book recs, and more. Again, that's relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter. Until next time. We love you too. We love you too. I'm proud to say it. (laughs) We love you too. Bye.